Now, two years of the war in Ukraine will be marked later this month. At the beginning, the US and Europe were united behind Ukraine's effort to win the war and to drive out the Russian aggressors. But two years on, there are signs that Ukraine is struggling. This week, it pulled its forces back from the town of Avdivka. There are signs also of the reluctance on the part of the EU and the United States to continue to fund the war effort. Meanwhile, Russia appears to play the long game to fight the long war. James Nixie is director of the Russia and Eurasia programme at Chatham House. I spoke to him earlier and asked him how long the war in Ukraine could continue. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to say that this could go on for several years to come. Um, so we are in what people call a protracted war, or some people even call it a forever, a forever war. And where we have a situation where the sides are in different ways evenly matched. So there's a, obviously the Russians have a firepower advantage, actually a considerable firepower advantage. There's not actually a great manpower uh, disparity between the two sides. But at the moment... I'm afraid neither of them feels able to uh, to concede anything. No, nobody, no, no, it's not in their interest to do so. So all they have left is to keep on fighting. Now, obviously, that that calculus can change if Ukraine's situation regarding its external help, help from us in the so-called West, uh, con- uh, is discontinued. But at the moment, whilst money and some weaponry is still flowing through then I'm afraid the two sides are not in a stalemate. That would be a mistake to say that. That means no one can win, but certainly in a deadlock. But is a long war in this this forever war that, that you talk about, is that more problematic for Ukraine than it is for Russia? Very much so. Um, I'm afraid that Russia has an ability, being the autocratic state that it is, to mobilise its economy and its society and to demand that the people make sacrifices, tighten belts, in the ways in which... Ukraine as a democracy and actually the West by proxy is simply not able to do. We have a lot more on our plate. We've got less bandwidth. And for this uh, and for Russia, this is the be all and the end all. Of course, that is true for Ukraine as well. It's very much an existential situation for Ukraine. It's for, for them, it's not a question of whether to fight or not to fight. It's a question of whether to fight or whether to cease to exist. But for Russia, um, we're <laughs> bearing in mind the sheer bloody mindedness of what they are doing and the, their inability to back off. The Russian president is single-mindedly driven by the need to gather historical Russian lands. Um, and, that, and, and, and to back off actually would endanger his own position because he would look weak. If you look weak in Russia, then, of course, your, your, your longevity is, is shortened somewhat. And you mentioned, James, the, the funding for, for this war. The EU approved €50 billion Euros, uh, in funding for Ukraine to keep up its war effort. Um, put that money in context. How much money does Ukraine need to keep fighting this war? Uh, it, it needs an awful lot more than that, I'm afraid to say. Uh, it, it, to... It depends what we're talking about, because, of course, it's not just for lethal aid and, and weaponry, but you're looking to pay salaries, to pay salaries not just of the, uh, of the soldiers, but to keep the whole country running. Ukraine's economy has been, uh, has been reduced by 35, somewhere between 35 and 40 percent since the start of the war. So it, life does not really continue as usual, but, but people have to, have to be paid pretty much as normal. And that has happened due to the combination of US and EU aid. But of course, just because the EU has finally released that 50 billion euro package, uh, doesn't mean to say there's not going to be more stumble blocks ahead. There, there simply will be, uh, there'll be more requests and there'll be more objections and more hurdles from 
from from awkward EU members. There are there are four scenarios here. One is that, that Ukraine wins outright because of some sort of chain reaction along the Russian front line and it implodes. Two is that Russia wins because all funding is cut off and, and Ukraine can, can't fight with anything but sticks and stones. Then you have the forever war and it keeps on going as it is, the situation we're in now. And finally, they come to a deal at the table. Um, but if you, but a deal at the table does re, does imply a measure of compromise. And then I suppose I would ask a rhetorical question, what part of Russia's narrative does one compromise with? And do you think that that is the direction that w- that we're heading? Perhaps, um, I mean, given that it took Europe two goals to approve that 50 billion euros in funding, we know that a similar amount of funding has been tied up uh, in the United States in, in, in Congress. Um, there's a good chance of the political situation changing both in Europe and in the United States. That all plays into Russia's hands, doesn't it? It does, but there are there are solutions. There are innovative solutions around. For example, we have already frozen three hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of Russian central bank assets, mostly sitting in Belgium, to a lesser extent in Luxembourg and France, a little bit elsewhere. And if we could unlock that, we can we can take the interest off of that. That's two to three billion dollars a year, but that doesn't really touch the sides. But in fact, if if we were able to 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 keep seize use that for a combination of lethal aid and financial reparation and reconstruction at the end, then then actually that would go a long way, not the whole way, towards towards financing Ukraine to to win this war and to survive as a sovereign state afterwards. Mm. That was James Nixie, director of the Russia and Eurasia program at the international affairs think tank Chatham House, speaking to me earlier.